Want to shift someone's destiny? Calling all CPAs, a.k.a. community and corporate partners in action. Become a community liaison or a corporate sponsor for our Give Hope Drives for the homeless and needy families. Donate tax-deductible funds, food, blankets, and books. Sponsor and serve our monthly luncheon, mentor a youth, or go on a foreign mission and make a difference. Contact our Soaring with Eagles radio show host, Crystal, at your team at buildthatbiz.com or visit our nonprofit page at fullcolormovement.com. Welcome to Soaring with Eagles with your host, Crystal Richardson, a.k.a. Sergeant K. Each week, we hear from Crystal and her successful guests as they share their triumphs, tragedies, tools, and secrets for living a full life complete with financial freedom laced with fun and fulfillment. Crystal takes a controversial and edgy approach to unveil interesting facts about millionaires, billionaires, and game changers, and how they have accomplished life success while giving back. Now, here is Crystal Richardson. Greetings, everyone. Greetings, greetings. Welcome to Soaring with Eagles and Above Your Best. So, so, so happy to be with you here again today. And uh, we are on with the Mike Diamond. I just love his name. I'm sure a lot of people tell him that. But hey, Mike, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I am doing awesome and amazing, and it's really great to be on with you today. Now, folks, we've been trying to get together for a minute. This man, and once we get into, he's going to introduce himself, but what he does is just so phenomenal, and there's so many people that depend on him, and yes, I'm a busy person too, but the intervention types of things that he does like you can't time those things, right? And so sometimes we have to just make adjustments. So thank you for being able to be on today. And uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Introduce myself? All right. So author, I'm an interventionist. Uh, I'm an athlete, crazy athlete. I do extreme stuff. Um, and I'm sober 14 years. I was sober 14 years. Thank you. Uh, April 16th. So it was actually funny. Someone said, why didn't you do it on 420? And I'm like, well, I never smoked a lot of pot. So I never thought of it like that. Because <laughs> it's 416. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know. But it's been, you know, I'm so, we, we were so blessed. It's really, I love uh, how the universe works. And as soon as we met, we were on the same frequency and we vibrated and we synchronized. I'm like, this is so cool because... It was an odd day that day, and a lot of stuff didn't go the way it's planned, but I still had a beautiful day, and I met you, so I was really happy. Yeah, yeah. It, it, was, uh, it was one of those moments for sure. I was like, you know, this guy, and, and the different things that we were talking about, a number of things that we talk about on my show all the time, and, and I work on with clients, and, and you do the same, and, and a lot of people do, but it's not necessarily where you click like that, and so uh, definitely I was happy to meet you uh, at the City Summit, City Gala, and um, the thing is, is that there's so many people out there that need help. So many people that yep. need help. So we need people like you. And you talked about being an interventionist. Yeah. So let's hear a little bit about the backstory and we'll go into a few of the topics related to getting your sore back. That is the name of our topic today. Getting your, not your swag back or your whatever back, getting your sore back is what we're going to be talking about. So go ahead and give a little bit of your backstory. Okay, so I, I originally got sober in New York City, and I was very blessed when I got sober. So I was using from the age of 12 and got kicked out of school young, a lot of uh, trauma. I'm born in Perth, Western Australia, which is the most isolated capital city in the world. And this is, you know, before the internet and before there was anything that you could dream of coming to America. So I always thought greater than my environment. But addiction was in my family, not my parents. Neither of my parents drink or do drugs. Um, but my dad was very abusive physically and mentally, and so was my mum. And I suffered all that trauma. Now, I was undiagnosed dyslexic. So I had learning issues. And then when I was young, my older brother was sick, very sick at seven. And he had a thing called measles encephalitis, where he had to walk and talk again at seven. So I, in that dysfunctional family system, had to play the hero scapegoat because my parents couldn't, we had four kids, they couldn't process it. So I acted out. So when I got to America, I came here with nothing. 
absolutely nothing. I knew not a soul. This is before Facebook where you could find a chat group and become some friends and date online. I literally ended in America with nothing, nothing. And just the ability to build rapport with people. I went to acting school and, uh, you what know. What year was that? What year was that? When I came to America in 1997. 97. Okay, go ahead. And the craziest thing is I won a green card in a lottery. So the crazy story is I'm all law of attraction. I went to acting school. I just, I knew I needed to go. I just had to find a way because in Australia, it's a little different to America. Australia is very, my ADD, my ability to go to acting school, to produce TV shows, to put out books, to be a speaker. That's American. You're an entrepreneur. In Australia, you're an actor. Be an actor, right? So you're in this box. And I just didn't understand that. And all these people in America, and this is before the internet, so it's not like you could go online and see you or see Gary Vee or see these people. I was just stuck in this little thing. And I read a book years ago called The Road Less Traveled. Two books, The Road Less Traveled by Dr. Scott Peck and Your Erroneous Zones from uh, Wayne Dyer. And I read them young and I was like, hold on, they're tapping into some stuff here that I completely understand. So when I came to America, I landed in Miami first and just winged it. I got a job in a jewelry store selling jewelry and I was working on a music project and this guy, random guy walked up to me and said, do you want to work in a nightclub? And I'm like, absolutely not. I hate clubs, hate bars. Wasn't drinking at the time. And he's like, it's $200 a night. And I'm like, I'll take it. You know, I had a, an apartment on Miami Beach for like 200 bucks a month. I'm like, I'm the guy. And it was this crazy chance and where this big famous club in New York City was coming to uh, Miami. And I met the three owners and they liked me and they said, what do you want to do? I said, look, I don't like nightclubs, but I'll take any job. I literally was that humble. I said, I'll do anything. And they said, would you want to just stand at a, at a VIP door and open a rope? I said, that's great. I go, how much are you paying? And they're like, 250 bucks a night. I'm like, what? I'll work every day. Because I was going to acting auditions and doing that stuff, right? And doing music projects. The night the club opens, it's the, the top biggest club there is, the door guy gets a DUI. So they asked me if I would want to work the front door and be the main guy. And I'm like, I'll take the job. And it changed my life forever. I shot a TV show in Miami, moved to New York with them because they opened another club in New York. I was the guy in New York. Now, this is the problem. 2001 hit, September 11th. I was in the city. The towers were coming down, and I picked back up the drinking and drugs. So it was bad. It was really bad. I was, I was making a ton of money, doing everything wrong. I'd lost purpose. I was just making money and opening these bars. And then I became friends with one of the biggest musicians in the world, Scott Weiland, from the band Stone Temple Pilots and Velvet Revolver. And I helped put together the TV show Miami Inc., the tattoo show. Right. And, and I was shooting a show with Scott, a VH1 show, and literally it was a spiritual, like, kick in the ass, a God smack. I was with him and his wife and kids were leaving, and I literally just stepped back from the, the tape and, and watched his life. And I, what I do now, but I didn't do back then, I, I knew I always had forward thinking. I always worked hard. It was all good then. I was, I was compassionate, had empathy. But I actually played the tape and I said, where will I be in 10 years from now if I keep making these choices? And it was that easy. I was like, you know what? I'm going to drink. I'm going to do drugs. I'm going to be dead. So I called a friend of mine and I had four friends that all had 14 years of sobriety. And they kind of were the crew, the cool guys. They'd come into the bar I owned to watch the bands. And I was just honest. I surrendered. I said, I was sober young. I'd go back and forth. How do I do this? How do I get sober? Right. And I just shut up. I didn't detox. I actually had to open a bar 60 days after I got sober. And I stayed sober. And wow. I just committed. And what happened wow. was, I, because I, I was in this celebrity kind of event world of doing TV shows, what happens, there was a transition where 
I was like, how do I help people? And a guy just said, look, do you, you want to do interventions? I said, what's that? He said, you go in and you intervene. He goes, but it's no joke. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you may have to, you know, get on a plane and fly to Missouri and find someone in a crack house and then detox them yourself and then literally get them to a rehab center. I'm like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And I just, I'm, the good thing about being an addict is if I do it, I do it. I don't have the switches on. So I just became the guy. And now doing it for so many years, I'm 14 years sober. I'm the guy now that you call anytime, any day, and I'll kind of figure it out. And I, I, I do, I've been getting people into rehab over Zoom, convincing them to go to treatment centers over Zoom. And, and this is something that's so phenomenal. And I want to just go back to a couple, two, three, four, five things that you said. Um, the first thing is about, you know, being an addict, it's either on or off. So uh, I want to maybe just do a slight correction of that because, yes, that is uh, an addict uh, type of mental state, but it's also a personality state. Okay? Oh, yeah. So I have not been an addict. But for me, I'm either all in or I'm not. And my husband's the same way. Like, if you say one thing to him, depending on what it is, like, he's gone, he's out the door, he's gone to do whatever it is. <laughs> An addict. You know, when I was, when I was pregnant, um, our daughters are 24 and 26. And, and even now, you know, we're um, finally empty nesters. We've always had people living with us for various reasons. But, you know, I'll just say some something and then he's just like up and gone to do whatever it is. And so... Uh, and the same with me, with, with my business, with uh, different people that I, I, I help or counsel or coach. So it's actually, to me, it's a personality trait, not just because of being an addict. Yeah, I can see that. So definitely, that, well, how's this? It's a personality trait, and then you add the addiction in. <laughs> I can get pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. And I can admit so, that. I can admit that. I can, yeah. Right, right. Um, and, and maybe, you know, I have the addiction to, to work. I mean, people have called me a workaholic, but it's really not that. And there's this joke about uh, Jamaicans, and I don't know if you know, you know, like if somebody has like a lot of jobs, they say that they're Jamaican. People call them <laughs> Jamaican because they have so many jobs, man. And so uh, I've been known as that person because I always have a number of things going on, but it's all related to one thing. Because my, I have been put on this earth to help people to be the best version of themselves, to help businesses be the best version of that business into profitability. So it's, it's all one thing, but it has many faces. So, so um, don't you think that because you have so much purpose and it's forward motivation, you're never tired, you have energy, you always yeah. serve, like me. It's just, and I think that's the fuel that people lack. They lack purpose. Yeah, purpose and the word that I use is urgency because, you know, from a, from a Christian perspective, you know, none of us know when, when, you know, Jesus is coming back and all of that, but we never know when we're going to die either. So you need to live each day, in my opinion, as if it's possibly going to be your last and get every you can related to your purpose. Now, don't, you know, kill yourself just trying to do too much. But um, again, from, a, from the addict perspective, and that's what I like about what you said about intervention, we're going to go into that a little bit more about getting your sore back is that that's what you're helping people to do. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a reason why they are here. Everybody has people that they are meant to impact. And so if they don't go through an intervention with you or the different things that I do from a mindset leadership transformation perspective, then the people who are, who are supposed to be relying on them won't be able to, and the people who, are they, who they're supposed to rely on won't get um, tapped into as well. And so what is your thought when I say get your sore back, and when, when we talk about intervention, you may have information related to your track record or just maybe a, uh, an example that is just a really standout example for you. Where have you been able to help someone go, like their lowest point, and now they're at XYZ? What, what is an example of that as far as getting your sore back? I'll give you a really good one. I was, um, before I really knew the skill of really getting people sore back, I was running a club in Miami. And this was many years ago, and a guy used, was an ex-Navy SEAL and used to come and ask me for change. He's smoking crack. So, um, God, it must have been three or four months of giving him change, and it was Christmas, and I was making a ton of tips and money. So I said, look, I'm not going to actually give you any money tonight, but meet me after work. 
Okay. So I took him. I took him to a hotel and I paid for the week. And I said, "You're going to stay in a hotel. You're not staying on the street." And I said, "Here's a few dollars." So three weeks went by. I didn't see him, and he was in bad shape. He came and asked me for more money. I said, "I'm not giving you money as a crackhead. You've got all these badges of honor as a Navy SEAL." I said, "You're carrying around this shame." I said, "You can meet me after work. I finish at four. We'll meet on the beach at five, and you can train me." Because what I go, you told me you're a Navy SEAL, ex Navy SEAL. Let's see what you got. I'll pay you to train me, right? Okay, okay. So if these whole perception, so we met on the beach, and I knew he was a Navy SEAL, but I knew he'd lost himself, and he he lost the image of who he was because he, he you know he was an addict, but that's okay. You can get it back if someone gives you the path to get it back. Right. So. I, we trained on the beach and he went from, he showed me that degree we were talking about before. As soon as it was time to spar, he wasn't a crackhead. He was a Navy SEAL. Every bit of training that guy had learned in the SEALs was there. So we trained together for a year. I got him sober, got his life back together. And I'd pay him. I got him a little apartment. Then he needed a job. I said, no problem. So I went and saw a friend of mine that owed me some favors. And I said, give this guy a job. He's like, Alan, the ex-crackhead? I said, he's not a crackhead. He's a Navy SEAL. Give him a job. So they gave him a job in this clothing boutique. And probably three or four months, nothing, no, no word. It's all good. I get a call. Guy that owns the boutique calls me and he says, hey, um, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, what is it? And he's like, it's about Alan. And I'm like, oh, God, what did he do, right? So he's like, I just want to thank you. I said, what happened? He goes, a girl came in, a guy came in to rob the store with a big blade and he was threatening the girl behind the counter. And Alan came out of the stock room and literally told the guy, put it down, put it down, flipped him out of his boots, restrained him and tied him up till the cops came. He goes, I cannot believe that was the same guy that used to sleep in front of the store and, and ask for change. So it's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. That is yeah. pretty cool. And I didn't know, I guess I had the power to look at someone for who they really were so they could remember who they were, mm-hmm. you know, and saw again. And I love the word saw. I love that because everyone, it, it's, I always say engine and anchors, you know, be an engine, be the wind in someone's, you know, sails. Be the air in their tires. Be the driver. You know, give to people. Don't be an anchor. Don't pull them under. Don't hold them back. Drive them. Listen. Right. And, and, and it, takes, it takes a special person with special skills, special wisdom, uh, background. Um, somebody mentioned something about a song I wrote today. They said, uh, you can tell that that person has had some life experiences, was what they said about me. And so... Um, uh, because the name of the song is "If the Rain Never Stops." If you go, if you go on my uh, on my page, it's it's on there. Um, but but I send you the link. But everybody um, who has gone through something, everybody who has gone through something, doesn't necessarily have the skill to weave through and look into someone to see their potential. Okay. And so part of it is being able to have that unique skill of seeing their potential, wrapping their mind back around that potential, and then helping them to, to get their soar back. And part of it, too, is it soaring, just like our, which way is it go? Right here, just like this. This is above your best. Okay. And so this right here means something, because once, you're, once you think that you're at your best, then you really not because there's even more that you can do and there's more that you can do and more that you can do. You know, when, when we set goals and aspirations, we have where we set them. And then when you reach, it's like, now what, right? That Michael Jordan is a, is a good example of that. You know, then he went into all these different sports and then he's acting, he's doing it not, like now what? So there's a lot of people that have that. So the fact that you have that unique capability, but in the trenches, because everybody doesn't want to deal with the kind of people that you deal with. Okay. They, they just don't. You know, they want to have these foo-foo and it's nothing, I'm not judging anyone, but a lot That's of people right. are into, uh, you know, coaching people that are already to a certain level. 
as opposed to meeting people where they are. So we do a lot with the, the homeless, a lot with at-risk youth, seniors, sing, single moms, and things of that nature. And, and I'm okay, totally okay with the fact that there's a number of people that are okay to just give money to our nonprofit, as opposed to being out there on the streets with people. I'm okay with the fact that even if they go out on the street, I'm high-fiving people, hugging them, and doing all that. And some people, they're out there just to help hand out supplies. I'm okay with that because God made all of us different. But we need people that are able to do all of those things. And what you do, I think, is just so phenomenal because the hands-on people are really, really needed, really needed. And you, you, had, uh, you said four friends that, that helped you. You're like, okay, what do I need to do? And, and they helped you? Yeah. Well, I was very lucky. I didn't um, – look, I, this is the one gift I've always had. If you have something that I want, I'll ask for it. I have no problems going to someone better than me and saying, hey, how did you do that? Can I, I will donate whatever time I need. I don't need to be paid. Just show me the way. And I think that's always been my ability when I came to America. I was so humble. I respect, this is what annoys me. When people come to this country, if you don't want to be here, leave. Just leave. Like people talk about the president, people talk about this, people talk, just leave. I pay my taxes, I came here, I left Australia, I knew what I was signing up for, okay? You have to be better here. You have to work hard here. I went to New York, I paid my dues, it's the biggest city, it's the toughest city. I made it in New York because I knew I had to drop the hammer and do the work. So when I went to people that were the best sober coaches or the best interventionists, I shut my mouth. If they told me to jump on a plane and pick someone up and make it happen, they're like, figure it out. You want to do this? You want to wear the big boy pants? Get them on a plane, okay? Get, don't tell me, just get them on a plane. And I would convince people, spend nights, nights, and nights in like, I would get dingy little motels. And, and let me tell you something. These are big-time celebrities that people would never know that I had to hide and get on, get, planes, get on planes with them, make sure the media didn't see them. That's what I was thrown into. Because the guys that got me sober were the biggest in the business. And you know what? Now I get the calls and I just tell people, this is the program. This is, I, I will get you sober. It's going to suck. Because you've got bad habits and you don't want to do the work and you lack discipline. You know, but I get such a a kick when I can take someone that's making shocking, disempowering choices and you can spend time with them and teach them to slow down, take accountability, take responsibility. You know, obviously I do a lot of so much work with young men because I, I really, a young man can identify with me because I was young, I was angry, I did drugs young, I got kicked out of school. So it's different me coming to a young kid, slowing him down. I've worked, I worked in a lockdown facility and had to commute uh, 12 hours a week to Death Valley from LA to work with these kids and slept on the floor with them. Okay. They were all under 18. Mm -hmm. And I slept on the floor with them three days a week to be with them, to teach them skills. And they all passed the program, except for one. And I think that's huge because part of it is just uh, being able to be relatable, to be relatable. And so um, it, it is in some cases where you do have to have where you've walked in their shoes in order to, to have that impact. Other times, depending on what it is, it, it's not necessarily the case. But uh, when people are dealing with addictions of, of any type, because it's not just necessarily drugs, you know, alcohol and, and things of that nature uh, that people are addicted to. And so being able to have people that are the unsung heroes, you know, working behind the scenes, like you're saying, like you can't go out and uh, tell people, uh, have on your on your your Facebook page and on your website. Yeah, these are all the different people because it's the confidentiality perspective of it, right? And so we do a lot uh, with people. We do a lot with some couples, um, even ministers, pastors, and and various people that are in position that they can't have where have people knowing this particular part of their life. 
And so, uh, again, that's something as the unsung hero related to what you do, uh, I think is just, it's just amazing. It's incredible. And it's something that's, that's really, really needed. So um, at this time, I want to just say that we're going to take a little break uh, just okay. so I can just have them uh, do the commercial for Voice America. And when we get back, we're going to talk about this little guy right here. This little guy right here. Right. <laughs> uh, you okay, so we are back from our break. <laughs> uh, so we are on with Mike Diamond, ladies and gentlemen. And you are originally from where? Perth, Western Australia. The most isolated capital city in the world. Yeah, so I knew the Australia part, but where was, where was the, it started with a P. Perth, it's on the West Coast. You don't, you don't go to Perth. You go to the East Coast, you go to Sydney or Melbourne. Okay, okay. So, yeah, so, um, so there's actually a, a couple people from Australia that will be on our Mindset Summit for Women this coming Saturday. Uh, we have a Global Mindset Summit. There's 20 speakers, really, really great people related to Mindset emotions and mental health and so the one that's going to be in july is going to be for the men and you have to be available for that mr mike okay for you yes you have to be available for it do you hear what i said for you yes yes thank you oh, i know you know that <laughs> okay so look here we go here we go here we go look at this look at this There's my book seven steps ladies and gentlemen and so this is an awesome book i've, I've read through uh part of it. And some of, I love how you uh, will get into, you know, what you've named the chapters. Um, but this is seven steps to an unbreakable mindset. So what year did you write this book? It's only uh, 18 months old. Okay. I got a new book dropping this year. That was, look, I purposely made that book 150 pages so mm -hmm. people wouldn't get intimidated. And then I wanted to make sure that people got an idea of who I was, but without, because the publisher said, look, you got a really deep and dark story. Could you not lay it so strong at the start? Now, this book, this new book, it's dark. The first part is no joke. I go into smoking crack, doing heroin, you know, blowing my life up in New York City. Like, I go deep into the belly of the beast, and then I give you, I, that, that's the first part to show you where I've come from. Mm -hmm. Then I give you possibilities. Then I show you how I've self-actualized, transformed, and become the person I am today going through all that stuff. So, so is that, that your book? Yeah, it's about, it's probably double the length of that book because I just didn't want to give people a 300-page book on Go, go One. They want to, I, need, I need you to warm people up so then they go, well, I need more. I'm like, okay, here's more. Right. And a lot happened since that book came out. So I did 30 half marathons in 30 days broke a Guinness World Record after stomach surgery, uh, which was I was supposed to never be able to run again. I was supposed to get colon cancer because I went into septic shock from my appendix bursting. I didn't take any of the meds. I healed myself naturally. I couldn't I'd lost 50 pounds. I couldn't walk. I was you know, a mess for 10 days. And then a year later, in that transition, my baby came seven weeks premature. I started putting him in the stroller to, you know, run with him and work out at home. And then I decided to run half marathons and I found a cause and broke a world record. Wow. Yeah. Wow. In yeah, my so I found the course and I just broke a world, world record. What are you going to do, right? That's, that's all I did. You know, I just, I just did it. Just went out and just did it. Yeah. I just say, show up and shut up. That's what I was told. <laughs> show up, shut up and just get it done. <laughs> That is phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Because part of it starts where? Right here. That's it. Just make up your mind. That's it. Yeah. How about this? Like I, always look, I always look at it like this, right? So if, if, if thinking, feeling, acting, right? If I sit there all day and ruminate over things from the past, that I'm going to have a predictable future. But what happens is if I program this to see the future, and think possibility and then I'm prepared to pay the price and do the work and just fire and wire the positive and then just keep doing the work. I will close the gap mm -hmm. from where I am to where I want to be because we all know law of attraction like attracts like and we also know what we focus on expands. 
So if I am presented with any opportunity, and I love when people say, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Well, if I take that, that, that line, the student is ready to, to everything. So I'm in traffic. Guess who my teacher is? The guy that cuts me off. I'm going to learn patience right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? The pandemic comes. I'm going to learn to do stuff online and do interventions online and write right. a new book. I wasn't yes. expecting this book. Right. People need it. So I was like, I'll find a charity. I'll give money away. I'll do this. I'll do that. You know what I mean? So it's like there's always a lesson if you're present and you're a student. Yeah, that's one of my books. It's called Flint Out Loud because I'm from Flint, Michigan, the dirty water uh, place. But it's talking about 11 controversial lessons of strategy, leadership, and success. So my parents didn't walk around talking about those three words, strategy, leadership, and success. But the lessons that you get in life sometimes come from where you least expect. So I talk about all, you know, my life growing up and how every single thing that they did could be put into those three categories. And um, I don't, I don't think I gave you a, a copy of that, but, but yeah, I can get that for you. But it, it's very, very key that, that we pivot, that we learn lessons, take everything as a lesson, learn, every single thing as a lesson learned, and then it can be a part of your success story, but only if you're thinking about it that way. And the first thing that you said in here, I love, I love, 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 breaking fear. Like you just started like right off the bat talking about one of the main subjects that people have, that people, a lot of people don't even admit that they have fear, um, but that's where you started out. So what, what do you have as like a main nugget from that chapter? Well, I always talk about the sympathetic nervous system, which is there's two ways to feel fear or disturbed. It's either thinking, feeling, and acting, or the environment can trigger some kind of fear. And there was a study years ago called Pablo's Dog Theory, where Pablo would ring the bell, remember, feed the dog, ring the bell, feed the dog, ring the bell, didn't feed the dog, but the dog produced saliva from the trigger. So if you've received a massive amount of trauma through your life, things can trigger the sympathetic nervous system. So the method that I I introduced in that book and then I created another method in in the second book is called the stop method. So when you feel emotionally disturbed or in fear, you stop, you take a breath, because when you breathe diaphragmatically, you go from fight, flight, and freeze into, which is, sympathetic nervous system into parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest and digest. So literally the blood and, and, the, and the, the mind changes. It goes from amygdala to prefrontal cortex. If you know the prefrontal cortex, that's our executive function. We right. think when we're in our prefrontal cortex, we feel when we're in the amygdala. So therefore, if we're in fight, flight, or freeze, our emotions will hijack us. Right? So, we think we're smarter than animals, but the difference with an animal and a human is that an animal uses its sympathetic nervous system for the right reasons. So if you see a zebra, and I give the example, a zebra on lunch break in the Serengeti, when it smells the lioness, it takes off because it knows it'll be lunch. Now, if it's one of those Nat Geo feel-good Nat Geo movies, what happens is the zebra gets away, right? And it survives. Great. Now, the one thing the zebra doesn't do that we do, the zebra doesn't sit there all day going, I hate lionesses, I hate lionesses, I hate lionesses. It doesn't ruminate, it does, right? It's off, it's done. We ruminate all day and why? We get ourselves sick. Mm-hmm. So we're not dying of stress. What it is, is we're in our sympathetic nervous system because we are afraid and that gives us stress. So if we can manage our fear and break it, break that, break the pattern. Like you said, pivot and, and make those choices. Guess what? You get out of it. So I am never really in fear unless I need to be. So I just, I'm calm because if I get someone sends me a lawsuit, I'm like, okay, I'll deal with it. Someone cuts me off in traffic. I get the shot. I'm aware of it. I breathe. I move on. Right. Someone's tone is off. They're coming at me. I, I go, Hey man, give me some distance here. Do you know what I mean? I, I put my hands out. I go, that's my distance. Don't come any closer. Tell me what you need. I, I don't like your tone. Do you know what I mean? So I've learned over the years to, I had to because I have ulcerated colitis, which is an incurable bowel disease. So I can't be in stress hormones or I get sick. There's no lie there. 
You know what I mean? If I could heal myself naturally and run 30 half marathons with ulcerated colitis after stomach surgery, I'm doing something right with my managing my stress. Right, right. And, and part of what I teach is how you transform that fear and the same energy that, that you use for fear can be used for excitement. I mean, it's the same kind of things that happen like, oh my gosh, you're starting to sweat and, 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 and you, your breathing changes, your heart rate changes, but that's the same thing that happens when you get excited. So let's use it in that other Absolutely. way and change it into something that is positive. So, yep. uh, so I love that. I love that. So now you talk about will and skill. Yeah. Will and skill. Let's go there. It's my favorite topic. You know why? Because people think it's talent. It's never talent. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's your willingness to do the work. And we all have an inclination. And what I mean by that is if me as a human being goes out and says tomorrow, I want to go play basketball like Michael Jordan. Well, like, hold on. Have you ever played basketball before? Well, no. Okay. So that's probably not your inclination. That's called optimistically delusional, right? But let's say, right, let's say I was a really good basketball player as a kid and I had that inclination, right? And I was, and I was still short. Spud Webb was 5'7". Spud Webb, yeah. Muggsy yeah. Gold, yeah. There you go. And I was prepared and I, and I got up early and if you look at intentional training and I had a good coach and I watched and I got mentored and I did the work. Now, I know that the reason I say will and skill is Magic Johnson had better speed and could jump higher than Larry Bird. But Larry Bird took the game of basketball and had the will to learn the skill. So he was a better shooter. He was rougher inside. He had great defense. So when you match them up, people say, you know, Larry was like a legend. And, he, and even Magic said, I, I could run faster, I could jump higher. Kobe Oil said it. But you know what? He had the will to learn the skill. He knew how to close the gap. So it's always about, look, successful people do the work no matter how they feel. Right. You know what I mean? Go, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say I go back to Michael Jordan because, like, he was always practicing. He was what? always, you know, there early, late, whatever it took to, to do that. And so you know, the greatest thing about Jordan, he didn't make his basketball, varsity basketball team. When you watch the North Carolina documentary, they're like, he was a freshman. We smashed Jordan. And they did. And, and Detroit won back-to-back -back when Rodman was in Detroit and Jordan had to hire Tim Grover as his weightlifting instructor because yeah. he said, they're bullying me too much. Yeah. People don't know that. Well, you know I'm from Flint, Michigan, so Detroit was the team. And I went, I went to uh, Wayne State in Detroit. So when we had the three-peat, all, all, all those different championships, that was when I was actually in Detroit. It was crazy, crazy, but crazy. Detroit, I loved the Pistons because I loved their grit. Yeah. Like, I loved that. They were, they were tough, man. If you went to Detroit and you played the Pistons, it's a game. That's yeah. how it should be. Not just when you went to Detroit, even when you're when at their away games, too. Oh, you know? the best. But, but let, let, let's not digress. Let's not digress in the sport. We can talk no, about that offline. <laughs> yeah, good. We get along. We can go on any subject. But yeah, so the I want to mention something that you talked about about being calm because that's something that's been said, you know, about my husband and I, you know, just about different situations separately as well as together. Because depending on what happens, we're like, okay, we're about to do this, this, and this. Okay, what happened? And and we're able to navigate and do, you know, what we need to do. And because of his job uh, with the government and and with what I do, quality regulatory and and leadership and all different kind of things that I do, you have to be able to look at everything and then see, you know, what are the potential steps? And I'm also known as like the, the plan B, C, D, E, F person, because you're not going to have something that if, if you say you want this to happen, oh, it's going to happen. Yes. It's going to yep. happen. If we have to have a plan B and then, okay, we look at that and then there's an issue with that, go over all of that, then we have another plan and another plan. We're going to make it work if it, if it was meant to work. And people are like, yeah. well, how are you so calm doing that? Like, I do one of the things that you do and I go crazy. It's like, but that's how I'm wired. That's how I'm wired. It goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of the, of the show is that it, it, it's not necessarily, you know, related to addicts necessarily. It is really a personality trait of just, I'm going to get it done. Yeah. Whatever it is that needs to be done, I'm going to get it done. Here's a question I have for you. Do you feel, because when I, when people suffer enough pain, they change, but that's not always the truth. 
do you feel that if you didn't ha- face adversity and you didn't go through that stuff, you could be the way you are now? Do you think someone needs to have faced adversity? I think some people have to have faced some type of adversity, but not necessarily the same thing. And that's why I'm saying with me working with the, uh, I mean, cause I, I work with people that are on drugs and stuff too, but I I've never been on drugs. Like I, I, I smoked weed in high school and, and it didn't affect me the way it affected other people. And some people, they started in elementary, junior high and high school. When I had my senior pictures, I looked the way I looked, but they looked like they were about 10, 15, 20 years older because of all the things that they went through. And so um, I had where I was on the other end of that. I'm actually writing a book with someone where it's like, you know, they went through all of the stuff and, and, and the drugs and, the, and, and robbing people and doing all this stuff. But I was the one that went through it from the other side of looking in on that and saying, well, I'm not going to do that. Or looking in on that and trying to help them not to do that. I mean, I got hit in the head and um, was bleeding from my head in the band room because of an instrument that was thrown and then a a heel that was thrown, a high heel that someone had uh, thrown at a different person. And I was trying to stop the fight. So like I was always in there, but in there from a different perspective because there was all this stuff that was going on around me that like I wasn't having that and I'm not having that for you. Like you're you're better than that. So it's always been that way that... um, that those kinds of things had had happened. But my main thing is that I was bullied. And for some of the different things that happened where I was trying to, to stop things from happening was because I know how I feel and it sucks. Okay. So I don't want you to have to go through that in a different way. So it was always trying to be that person that was the voice of reason. That's great. So yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I just think you have, I think the problem is like a lot of the time, I have a couple of clients, the best clients I have, like if they're younger kids, when the parents surrender and it's not tough love, it's, it's rules and boundaries. Right. And they listen to the rules and the boundaries and teach their son or their daughter, you know, how to delay gratification, how to understand values, have rules, have principles and, and empowering rules and principles to live by. They, they, and they do that they're golden. A lot of the clients I have, they just have too much money and they allow their children so much space. And I'm like, it's going to implode. I'm telling you. And when it implodes, there's two kids that, you know, bad overdoses recently. And I told the family, I'm like, this will keep going. Everyone has to hit a spiritual rock bottom. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to be handing themselves, you know, a, a lesson that, it rewires your brain to say, no, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And if you don't let that person process that, they never get there. Going through that same thing right now and and, uh, with with someone. And uh, one thing that I did for several youth that were on the bad bad path was I made a juvenile, like it was a juvenile, it has a name, a juvenile delinquency some kind of program to get them back on the right track because they, they could have been arrested for what they did. And so I convinced the store owner to not arrest them and that I would put them through a program through what we do at our community center. Um, but I didn't have that program in place. So I actually put one uh, together for them. But the thing is, is that they, they even said that they appreciated it, but part of it is they still have to make up their mind that, that, that they want to do right. Like you have to make up your own mind. Yeah. Yeah. Surrender is a, surrender is a very personal thing. Mm-hmm. You, we all have to, you know, uh, turn it over to our higher power and, and, and let go. So the will and skill, um, that was yeah. what we just talked about. Uh, the conscious outlaw. That's the last one we'll talk about. Cool. The conscious outlaw is a self-actualized human being it is a person I was looking up a lot of values and principles and it's based on early stoic philosophy. Um, I am very, I love Marcus Aurelius. I love stoicism. I love Socrates, Aristotle and, and the stoics were, you know, when you look at great leaders like Marcus Aurelius and the way he, it's really emotional intelligence, which then becomes social intelligence. And I guess 
there's a lot of incredible women in the world like yourself, like Marianne Williamson, like my friend Gabby Bernstein that do, that really push the emotional intelligence. But, you know, there, there's a reason there's a Me Too movement right now because, you know, men act like idiots and disrespect women. So with, with The Conscious Outlaw, I wanted to come up with something that it, it's spiritual, but it's, it's still anyone. It's not about sobriety. It's about self-actualizing and reaching your full potential. And we're turning it into a youth program right now um, because I, my focus is there's enough great women in the world doing great stuff for them, but a lot of the men don't want to listen to the women because they go, oh, what would you know? And then we have this whole UFC culture, do you know what I mean, which is violence, 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 and then the Navy SEAL thing, which I love the Navy SEALs, but everyone's like harden up and kill, kill, kill. And I'm like, no, you could be a spiritual Navy SEAL. You could be as tough as a Navy SEAL, but you can have compassion. You can have empathy. You can have emotional intelligence. So it, it, it's a self-actualized human being that doesn't have to act out because he's confident in himself that if someone is bullied, he can step in and take care of that person and himself. Do you know what I mean? And I think, and it's based on early stoicism. That's the, those men back then really inspired me because I was like, these Socrates got poisoned. Yeah. Poisoned because he believed the Senate was wrong back 2,500 years ago, 500 years before Jesus. He said that women should have the right to vote. 2,500 years ago, he was poisoned for that. <laughs> I mean, that's a bad, sorry. That's the coolest, like, that, are you kidding me? And he said, poison me. If you want to poison me because I'm right and they poisoned him. I mean, how is 2,500 years ago? <clears throat> That's incredible. So it's, it's giving people really empowering values to read um, a manifesto that's empowering and, and give people that. And I walk the talk, like I'm a conscious outlaw. I go out and do things to show people that, you know, this is how you become self-actualized. And it's a daily thing. I have to value, live by these values and principles every day. Yesterday's food doesn't keep me full today, mm -hmm. right? You sweep the floor once, what happens? It gets dirty. So it's a constant reminder to me and to people that, like, that are part of, like, what it is just to keep doing the right thing no matter how you feel. Just keep doing the right thing. Wow. Um. Yesterday's food, is, is that, did I put you it say that or did you say that? No, I just, I don't, I, I said it years ago. Yesterday's food doesn't keep you full today. Yeah. You can have it. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it's, the truth. it's just the truth, right? I always tell people, like, I'm like, what do you, what do you, like, someone came up to me the other day, they go, what do you think of therapy? And I'm like, well, break it down. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, what about it? They're like, what do you think of it? I'm like, how often are you going to therapy? They're like, one day a week for an hour. I said, okay, would you eat one day a week for an hour? Right. They're like, no. But I'll go, well, what do you think of therapy now? You're going to get what you give. So right. if you do an hour and, that's what, and you're expecting some white light experience, optimistic delusion, not going to happen. Well. Pay the price. Unbreakable, the unbreakable mindset, that's what it has to do with. The, the repetition of what you put in your mind is key. And yeah. so a lot of people, whether it's religion, like, you know, people go to church on Sunday. Is that it? Like, that's, that's, that's the only God you experience on Sunday. And so the same with gratitude and with affirmations and, and with what you put into your mindset to make it unbreakable. It has to be that you get that repetition so that you make it into a habit. Whether you believe the 66 days, 67 days, or five days for a habit, or 300 days, whatever you want to say for how long it takes to develop a habit, Everyone is different in regards to that, but you have to have that repetition. So yep. your repetition might be different than mine, but it's definitely more than once a week. It's definitely more than twice a week to have an unbreakable mindset, all the different things that you have there, the different things that a lot of us have about uh, these barriers that I talk about. You know, everyone has barriers. Everyone yep. has th different things that we need to, to get out of. And so, uh, but how do you do that? You don't just do that by thinking about it once or going to a conference, getting all this information, you're on this conference high, and then don't do anything about it. You have to have the do portion of it. 
So yeah, uh, you just nailed that. You know what I always do? Someone asked me the other day, they're like, how, how come you achieve things and you just go and do it? I said, well, I always go to the beginning. They're like, what do you mean? I said, okay, so say you can run 100 miles, okay? I go and find out that your history first. And if I find out that you never really ran track and you started running five years ago and you started off running 5Ks and now you can run a five, 100 miles, I'm like, then I can do it. I remove any doubt. I go, if you could run a 5K, then go to 100 miles that I could do it. Then I go into process. I give myself no way out. I live in process. I figure out how you processed it. Then I look at myself within reality. Then I break down time. And then I figure out how to chunk down the time. So if you're, you, you're about the same athlete as me and you could do it, okay, how many hours a day are you training? What are you eating? How are you stretching? And I literally formulate a plan because when I did the 30 half marathons in 30 days, the record was 21. I did 30. They're like, how are you going to do it? I'm like, I have to run a certain distance. I, I timed about two and a half hours. So I made sure that I had enough cardio and my body was used to doing about three hours of cardio a day. Mm -hmm. Just it, was, it, could, it could deal with the stress of three hours. I wanted to have a little bit more in the bank just in case I felt bad. So by day 15, my body was like, I got this. <laughs> well, I'd be getting tired usually. I got stronger. By the end, I could have done 60 because it was just a habit of getting up every day and running a half marathon. Mm -hmm. But the switch has to go off, and that's what people are afraid of. They're, they're afraid to get moving and going. Yeah, and so part of what you said I want to go into, <laughs> excuse me, related to getting the information from someone who's done it, mapping it out, and then doing your version of it, a similar version based on your capabilities as well. So a lot of people get into the word that, that I've made up, it should be in the dictionary, but comparison. I love <laughs> comparison. And so yeah. they're comparing themselves to someone else as opposed to taking what they see in someone else and applying it to their life in the way that they can do it. So there's, there's a way to do it without having where you're putting yourself down. Like, why? there's no way that I can do that because of the different surgeries I've had or or xyz and then you get defeated well no use the comparison just to get the information out just get just ooze just squeeze it so you can just have everything oozing out of it that you possibly can and then map it to your life so i'm 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 an engineer by by degree um, and i'm I'm an ordained minister, uh, missionary, and, and counselor and all of that too. But the thing is, is that it is all about process. It's all about process, but not to the degree where you just feel defeated because you can't figure out how to do it like the other person. So that's something that um, a lot of people just, like you said, you know, well, how do you accomplish so many things? Well, you just put your mind to it and do it and you just map out the process and then it's easier to do and you do it your way as opposed to someone else's way. So yep. it, 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 it is doable, but you have to first see it on paper and see that it's doable. Yeah, and it's time related. So I look at this, people say time, money, resources. Okay, become resourceful, create more time, right? And then you're good. And then you just, you just work it out. So you obviously, I'm dyslexic. So you would probably read faster than me naturally. Engineer, you, you know, you read books younger. I never read fast, but my goal was to read a book a week. So what I did is I did a very simple thing. I, I read, I took an average book and I, I, I figured, out, figured out between 200 and 280 words per page. Then I added up the words and I said, an average book has about 55,000 to 70,000 words. I'm like, perfect. If I can read, I read for say 60 seconds with no stress. I could read 200 words a minute, right? Over 60 minutes, I calculated that time and then I calculated in a week worked out to be about 12,000 words a day. But by the week, I could read a book a week. So I'm like, okay, if I can discipline myself to sit down, then I learned, used a technique by a guy called Lazanov. And Lazanov was this really incredible man. He studied kids that could memorize the Quran. Mm -hmm. And what he realized is if you can slow down the brainwaves to a theta brainwave by using classical music, when through repetition, the theta brainwaves goes into the subconscious, you remember it. So I would play classical music, some Mozart, slow down the theta brainwave, sit down for an hour and read. So I'd retain everything. 
Mm-hmm. In a week, I've read the whole book. I go, okay, if I can read one book a week, I can read 52 in a year. What happens? I start reading 52 books in a year. Do you see what I mean? So it's like I may not have had the inclination as a good reader, but if I spend enough time, I have the will to do it, I'm going to learn the skill. Now I retain everything because I understand how to hack my brain and I learn techniques that are out there, so I study them. Mm-hmm. But it, ta- it took you doing it. It took you it. figuring out do your it. way to analyze it, okay? And so everybody has their own way. And I just want to say something about being an engineer thing. I don't read fast. <laughs> I was the person who had to, to go through and just take extra time to do my work in order to, you know, get the GPA that I got. to. to but get you got it done. done. You got it done. Yes, I had to do it my way. And uh, even in um, uh, dynamics and thermodynamics, uh, my brain is wired differently even with that because I was able to do the complicated problems and the A students that, that did well on all of them would come to talk to me about the complicated ones, but some of the easier ones I couldn't get for whatever reason. You know, my brain wasn't very that wired that way. And so that's even today. You know, I'm 56 and a lot of things that are complicated to a lot of people are just simple to me. Simple. And so... But I do get simple things now. But back in school, it was the opposite way. And I'm, I'm sitting here in my office and I have, I have a board. I have all my boards. I have different words and different things that, you know, that I have where it's, it's categorized in the way that is best for me. So when I'm talking to people, just like when you talk to people, you give them your experience, but they have to derive what's best for them. Don't you agree? 100%. 100%. I have a question. What, is it, what does it feel like to look 35 to 56? <laughs> like seriously 56 like yeah okay well i'll be 56 in a couple months i keep saying that on my show and my, my husband he's like uh, um well based on you know you're 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 55 dear you're 55 i'm like well why didn't you tell me because like i didn't calculate it myself wow it's so good <laughs> like, why didn't you tell me i was only 55 but yeah in september i'll be 56 but yeah, so it, it's just really, really important for us to to understand this word soar and yep. this word catapult, you know, that I have up on my on my board because sometimes it takes people. I guess what I'm trying to say is with the comparison, people are different ages. And, and when, you, when it clicks for you, it could be a different time than it clicks for someone else. Everyone doesn't have your same life circumstances. So it's never, never, never too late to soar. It's never too late to understand something where you can then be catapulted into your greatness. And so is there something that you can give as just like a, a statement for people to have them not lose hope, no matter what their income level is, no matter what their race is or where they are economically or what addictions they may have had or all of these different things that are barriers and obstacles. What is something that you can say to them to let them know that it's never, ever, ever too late? All right. So I love that. First of all, Saw. Do you know that when you talk about Saw, do you know the analogy, what the eagle does? Do you know the story of the eagle? When the storm comes, the eagle flies into the storm. Mm-hmm. It, ever, all the other birds hide well the eagle flies directly into the storm and then when it hits the storm it uses the storm to elevate it to right. a higher platform so it can glide right so my best thing is because i work with addicts of all ages and if someone feels like they've blown up their life and it's too late the reason it's never too late is because i don't believe in time i'm a quantum guy so I usually say, get amnesia from yesterday. It's gone. It's done. You can't go back in it. Mm-hmm. Let's sit in the present right now and think about how great now with all that experience, you know exactly what you did wrong and now you know what you can do right. Mm-hmm. So they're the greatest lessons. There's no such thing as failure. It's just a lesson. Right. It's just a lesson. Great. I know exactly. I always reframe and go, wow, I know exactly what to do now. So if I went out tomorrow and I was drinking and driving and I got caught, I'm like, I know exactly what to do. Never drink and drive. Mm-hmm. Sounds dumb, but it's so simple. If you can reframe it in a positive way, like Victor Frankl did with Man's Search for Meaning, you know what I mean? There's always so many great things. So I say, don't worry about age. It's better. Look, I have a friend of mine who was drunk his whole life. 
and his mum got cancer. And I said to him, you, you bullcrapped your way through life. You need to get sober right now. Because I said to him, I reckon your mum's got two years to live. He's like, I go, be sober for those two years. He got sober, right? She died. He was two years sober. And he turned around and he goes, it was the greatest two years of my life with my mum. He goes, all the other stuff I did didn't matter. She, she co-signed all my crap. He goes, but now I'm living. And he's 56. And the beautiful thing is that he got those two years that she loved him anyway. She was unconditional, but it's the special two years. He showed up every day. He helped her through the cancer. He wasn't a burden on her. He didn't ask her for money. Now he's helping people get sober. Now he's 56 and he's totally turned his life around. And he now goes, man, imagine what I'm going to do in the next 20 years. I'm like, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. So it's never too late to shine. It's never too late to soar. Yeah, sometimes people just need something that they can <clears throat> hold on to and gravitate to. And so you, you put that in his mind to do that for his mom. And, yep. and being able to have where you can see and, and, and come up with that stuff, you know, like, because each person is different, right? I mean, that wouldn't work for, for Joe and, and, and Amber and whoever else, but you knew for whatever reason to give him that particular thing to hold on to. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I don't, I guess like talking to you now because we just clicked so good. And what I find really magical and interesting is we, we, we see everything the same and you have the same, but different perspective in wording, which it's, but it's so synchronized in a beautiful way. Um, I guess because I'm always thinking of how to empower someone and be of service and I'm always, from a young kid, I was always like that. And it was beaten out of me. Like people try to beat it out of me. Mm -hmm. And I'd always look to lift people. I've always, I've never had to think about it. <clears throat> I think everyone else is like that. Because why would you kick someone when they're down? Why don't you just help them up? Yeah, I just, that's my mentality. Like, There's bad people out there. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like if, if someone needs a hand, I was, all right. I mean, we're going to get off in a sec. I was... There was a lady in the grocery store when the, when the pandemic hit and she was really struggling and she was trying to buy water. And I, I was like, are you okay? And she's like, no, my husband's in a coma. And I'm like, what do you need? She's like, they won't let me get the extra water. And I said, how much do you need? I didn't need water at the time. I had other groceries and she needed two extra cases. I'm like, it's simple. I gave, I gave her money. I said, you take that case. I gave the person behind her money. I said, you buy that case for her and I'll buy a case. And I go to the guy, it's really simple. I'm paying for the three cases. She's getting the water. Her husband's in a coma. Like it's not even, a, you want to you argue with me, I'm going to, I'll buy everyone a case for her. Her husband's in a coma. Get out of here. This is silly. She's the poor woman's crying at the door. And then I helped her to the parking lot and I put it in. And <clears throat> she goes, what do, you, what do you need? And I'm like, for what? She's like, for doing that, I go, are you really thinking I need something to get you a case of water? Like, what does the world come to? I can't buy you a case of water. She gives me a hug and she's like, I needed that today. You gave me hope. But I'm like, but, but why can't someone give someone hope? Do you know what I mean? And that's, that's, the name of our, that's the name of our luncheons, our Give Hope luncheons that we do mm -hmm. every first Saturday for the homeless. And, and I did the same thing. This guy, he's looking at me in awe. And then the, the uh, cashier was looking at me in awe because I did it, that same thing with lentil beans. The guy needed some stinking lentil beans. So I gave him mine. And he was like, you know, 100 years old. <laughs> he wasn't. He's probably like maybe 80 something. I'm like, here, just have mine. You know, I'll just, I'll, I'll go get some more. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really no problem at all. <laughs> but I mean, like really thinking, right? Like I say to people, the amount of time that I've helped people out or done it. And then I say, I don't have to post it on Instagram. Right. I go, the amount of celebrities and people I've worked with, my Instagram would be full. I go, that's not my job to post things. And someone goes, you should, no, I don't need to do that. That's why I get the work. It's not about, it's an anonymous job. Don't go out and be of service and then post it on your social media. Look, look what I did. No one needs to know. Just do it and be a good person. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Be of service. Show up. Help people. Right. People right. are suffering right now. You know? Yeah. So you heard it here, folks. Be of service. Be of service. <laughs> Be of service. And, and kindness doesn't really cost you anything. No. And it, it's, it's where we need more people that are just willing to be able to do that and not have to get, uh, get accolades for it. I mean, you don't, you don't need that because if you're doing that, then it's more for you than it is for someone else. Yeah. You just look, anyone can do something on purpose. How about doing something with purpose? Right. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Just be be a purpose, be of service. Mr. Mike, I'm going to have to follow up with you on a couple things that just kind of went down here today. So uh, be expecting a call from me. Are we okay? Serious, serious. What'd you say? Is everything okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Totally okay. So I'm talking about some future stuff that you and I need to do because of this. Oh, oh, oh. when you said that, you're like, I'm like, oh, you, you went into your like Oprah, like serious voice. So I was like, oh, okay. I was like, whoa, whoa. Okay, some things went so, down. Uh, there's some things that we're going to have to do here, Mike. Yeah. No. <laughs> some things went down here today that we're going to have to talk about. I'm like, whoa. Like, what, what? No, no, no. In a good way. In a uh, good way. Oh, my gosh. How could you think anything different? No, I know. I just don't think it was good. It went vibing. And I was like, dude, the way you dropped it, I'd be like a school teacher. I was like, dude, things just got weird. <laughs> <laughs> You're so beautiful. Oh, my gosh. Uh, awesome. All right. How do people get in touch with you? The Mike underscore diamonds on Instagram or my website is just themikediamond.com. I do check my direct messages. I do check my email. So if you're suffering, if you're hurt, if you feel lost, if you're going sideways, send me a message. I will check it. Uh, look, I tell people, and it always happens, and people do, do, I always check it. I would rather you pick up the Instagram or my and send me a message than pick up the drugs, then unfortunately do something to harm yourself. I will check it, and I will give you some love back. So we're like the same person in different skin and different, you know, different countries <laughs> and all that, because it's the same thing with me, because... Uh, people have my phone number and people do call. Like if you need to call in the middle of the night rather than calling somebody for uh, for something that you should, I was about to go there, but for something that you shouldn't be doing, I was about to say it a little bit different. No, you're going to say <laughs> So um, then call me, you know, call me. And people have called, you know, and so people need those kinds of people in their life um, because sometimes it's just you need to get over that hump in order to get through through what you're going through and then then you're good. But uh, it's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. We need people like you. I appreciate you being on the show today. I am going to call you, but you have an awesome, awesome, awesome night, okay? I love you. Bye, honey. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Soaring with Eagles. Please join Crystal Richardson again on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another edition. Let's soar together, give back to our communities, and change the world.